From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman. Thanks for listening. Joining me for this episode is Scooter Vertino. He's the Senior Vice President of Programming and Production for Turner Sports and for Content Programming and Production for NBA Digital. Scooter, welcome to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> Thank you. So, Scooter, let's start with uh, what's hopefully a fun one, and uh, and we'll answer a question I've had kind of since the summer. Uh, the NBA TV schedule gods and the uh, NBA free agency gods seem to be really, really in sync this past season. And uh, the way the early free agency news broke, you know, with news for the Cavs, Celtics, and Rockets all making major offseason changes that set up for a pretty great Cavs-Celtics and Warriors-Rockets matchups on the opening night of the season. Uh, and so the question you can answer for me is, uh, is were you and your TNT and league uh, colleagues uh, queuing up the James Brown I Feel Good and actually dancing to it, uh, or am I just projecting what I would do? Um, I, I, I do think we're all big music fans, um, so I, I wouldn't discount that. Um, we, were, we were thrilled um, that – the uh, events turned out that way uh, that led up to it. Um, obviously, no one has a crystal ball, but you try and prepare um, with our scheduling and programming team, uh, working hand-in-hand with the NBA um, to try and get as lucky as you can be. And um, it, just, it just happened to, uh, happened to fall our way. You know, we're always looking for the most compelling matchups to start the season. And those even prior to Kyrie being traded were at the top of the list right. uh, for numerous reasons with, um, you know, uh, Chris Paul, uh, additionally, uh, Gordon Hayward signing in Boston. The fact that the, um, the Cavs had just played the Celtics in the Eastern conference final. So all of that made sense when you then add into it, the element of Kyrie Irving, uh, that just pushed it over the top for us. Um, yeah. So we were absolutely, we were very excited. Yeah. And, and so uh, can you not, not, not to put you in a kind of a, a sad frame of mind, but can can you just talk about like, what, what were you experiencing as, as you were watching the, uh, you know, the, the, the first Cavs Celtics game and, uh, and Hayward went down. That was devastating um, from a fan's point of view, because, um, and from our professional point of view, because you, you hate to see anyone, um, you kind of struck down like that. Yeah. You, you, we want to see everyone at their best. And I think that's what makes compelling TV um, set aside that you never want to see anyone hurt at all. Uh, but yeah, that, that was, that was, that was rough. Um, I guess the saving grace for us was how it was handled on the broadcast. Right. Um, granted, that's no consolation to Gordon Hayward and, and, you know, his recovery process, the Celtics and their fans. Um, but I was I was certainly proud of the way that the guys at site um, handled it in uh, the most professional fashion. I was actually not in um, Cleveland that night. I was in Los Angeles because we had just begun the National League Championship Series. Right. Um, right. With the Dodgers, Dodgers. and the. Uh, and the Cubs and um, I had stayed out for the start of that. And then I was at Staples that night because um, we also had, uh, uh, oh, no, sorry. I was, 
pardon me, I was in Golden State for the second game and then headed back to L.A. that Thursday for um, Lonzo Ball's first game, gotcha. um, which was also on TNT. But, yeah, I was at Oracle and actually watching in our um, de facto green room in the bowels of the arena when that occurred. Wow. Uh, and then things, things got a little crazy uh, on our end. But you could, you could just kind of feel with those that were watching uh, the empathy for the situation as it unfolded. So uh, you, you you answered some of this, I think, with the first question, but uh, just just want to just want to get into it a little bit more. As as one of you know only two national broadcasting partners for the NBA, uh, I'm sure Turner Sports and you personally are very involved in in you know what goes into coming up with the schedule. Uh, but can can you give me and the listeners an idea of you know what that involvement looks like and and how not necessarily you but but Turner goes about selecting certain matchups for certain dates and windows and uh, how we wound up exactly even even before the news with the Cavs Celtics and Warriors Rockets on opening night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean the process starts very early. Um, and I'll give you an example that you know we're working closely with the NBA uh, Tom Corelli and his crew. Um, and we start now focusing on, um, you know, key dates, uh, tentpole events, if you will, uh, where we want to, may want to beef up the, the matchups. Um, we know that all, not all nights are created equal, although we would love them to be, uh, and love the viewers to look at them that way. Uh, but there are certain nights for us that are, that are key, whether it be opening week, um, the MLK holiday, things of that nature. So we start working very early. Um, and John Vandergrift, who has been working on the schedule for 30-plus years, uh, working hand-in-hand with the NBA, is basically um, our secret weapon. And what Vandy does is he'll break down every factor that goes into every night that we could be on the air, whether it's um, you know entertainment premieres or possible competition from elsewhere, so that we know going in what we might be up against and how to better strategize. Um, and I think that that really helps us get the ball rolling, pardon the pun, early. Um, but then he also works with Tom Corelli and their crew as to, you know, um, teams that could be on uh, road trips, there could be arena conflicts, um, all the things that go into the NBA's algorithm. And then we all work together to kind of plan what the best case scenario is going to be for Turner. Right. So is the uh, is the selection process for the for the uh, the, the games that wind up uh, being nationally simulcast on N- NBA TV uh, a lot different or, or is it kind of the same? That's a little different. Um, obviously, the NBA works, you know, the, the timeline typically is Turner and or Time Warner and Disney. Um, if you're looking at, you know, who is getting the. Uh, priority for those games and those dates um you already know what the nights are going to be so that's how those get filled in nba tv comes in after that um and that scheduling crew led by rusty mintz and doug miller along working with uh paul benedict and paul hersheimer at the nba uh those guys work a little differently because um they know their dates and they're actually working at least our guys are off process of elimination. Right. If they know that these matchups are already taken for Turner, then they know that that's not something they're going to have to factor in when they build the NBA TV schedule. Okay. Um, so that, that's kind of how they work. I don't even know if, I, 
it's not really working backwards. It's working frontwards, if you will. Um, and typically, their window to get stuff together is considerably smaller because once, and I, I don't want to speak for the NBA here, but once the, 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 two, the two broadcast partners' deals are, or schedules are concluded, you know, I think there's a lot of other factors to get the information out fast. Right. I mean, teams want to sell tickets and they want to announce their their schedule. And, and, you know, maybe you only get to see LeBron or Steph Curry and Kevin Durant play once a year. And, and that's a big selling point to, yep. to their fans and things like that. So they don't want to waste any time. Um, and so the NBA TV schedule, which is kind of right on the heels of that, um, has to be done quickly and efficiently. And, you know, uh, giving the NBA a ton of credit here. They work with us a lot if we want to switch a game out once we get into the season. If we see something that's more compelling, if some team is on a hot streak, uh, if there's history that's going to be made, or if, if some team has you know, stuttered or has is, is fallen prey to injuries and we're going to move things around, right. um, the NBA has been extremely flexible uh, as long as I've been in this position with, uh, with regard to helping us um, add a little bit more punch where it's needed. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm 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 going to screw this up, but my memory is a couple of years ago when the uh, you know when the the Warriors had the historic uh, 73 game season, they they did add yeah. maybe uh, maybe as as many as like five to eight games uh, of the Warriors to the schedule, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, I don't know the exact number, but I think but but your recollection is correct. I think that was a situation where, um, you know, everyone understood what was at stake and whether it be ESPN or Turner slash NBA TV, um, we were all kind of scrambling to see which games fell on which dates and how everyone could take advantage. Right, right. Okay, so let's and, talk. And, 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 the view, and the viewer the viewer winds up winning in that scenario, right? I mean, that Absolutely. The fan gets to see something that you may never see again. Yep. Yep, that was a, that was a, a a pretty great season all the way around. So uh, let let's talk about uh, NBA Digital for a moment. Uh, and I'm, I I want to be clear because I'm not sure everyone is always aware that uh, Turner Sports runs the league owned network, which is NBA TV, and runs the league's out of market streaming package, League Pass, and also runs the the NBA's website, NBA.com, and all the apps and podcasts and social media stuff. Uh, that, that, that goes along as a result. And uh, so I, I like to get you to talk about that kind of broadly, but, but first, is it, is it safe you know, for me to assume that relationship runs for at least the length of the, uh, the current rights agreements, which I think go through 2025? I think that's safe. I think that's safe. I, w- I do want to correct you on one thing. Okay. When it comes to social media, the NBA runs their own social media, like at NBA um, and NBA Facebook, things like that. We do not run that. We, we handle at NBA on TNT, at NBA TV, at NBA.com. So anything that's associated with, with the um, elements that we help run for the NBA, we handle socially, but the NBA handles their, their major accounts by themselves. I guess what I'm, what I'm kind of thinking about there is there's just a lot of content that winds up on their Twitter feed that I know that you made. And uh, so I'm thinking about it that way, if that makes any sense. I see. I see. Okay. Um, and, and I I mean, so I, I do really, and, 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 and to a large degree with ESPN too, I mean, I think that the, uh, the NBA and its partners actually do have, uh, a a very good partnership. So, uh, you know, when I, when I, when I see, you know, NBA or, or NBA TV or Turner personalities or content 
you know, within the uh, the ad MBA Twitter feed, I, I just kind of think of that as all one and the same thing, even though I, I get from your perspective, you're not handling the Twitter feed. Oh, no, but but make no mistake, like we work in conjunction with the league and they're extremely helpful. Their reach is astronomical. So uh, we're thrilled anytime, you know, our content or our talent, uh, Absolutely. you know, winds up on their feeds. That's that's yeah, that's a win win for us. No question. OK, so, you know, let's, and, and, let's... And, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, well, I was just going to say that there's there's a group that we work hand in hand with with that with that um, that unit as well, run by Melissa Brenner, who has done great stuff uh, with regard to initiatives and advancing um, the social media footprint and initiatives, and you know, really taking some chances. And so, working with her crew has been extremely beneficial to us. Got it. Got it. So. Um... Excuse me. So let's let's talk about the, the the relationship, and it can be at a high level. But um, you know, I mean, you 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 know, you're you're uh, I don't know, arm in arm with the NBA pretty much all season long, all year long. What does that relationship with the NBA look like for you? It's great, and it and it gets better all the time. And, and one of the reasons why it's that way is because there's nonstop communication. There's a call every morning. Um, with, uh, and this is mostly on the NBA digital side, if you will, where we're in lockstep so that we know what's going to happen if there's going to be an event or a press conference. Um, and they understand that, okay, look, we're going to debut something tomorrow night. Uh, say it's the what if series. And this is going to focus on um, what if Kobe Bryant had been drafted by the Nets. So ah. let's make sure that everybody's aware and this is going out and, um, and that type of uh, initiative. I, I, I think that the communication, I know this is a cliche, but the communication is key. We work in the communication business and how often do you hear that nobody communicates, right? So <laughs> whether it's, you know, and, and, and whether it, we're on the phone, we're emailing, we're texting, um, you know, and, and I think that that helps generate um, – trust and collaboration between Turner and the NBA. Um, and when you have that, it's able to create a wildly successful, at least in my opinion, environment where the creativity and the excellence in production and content gathering can all thrive. Yeah, can, can you talk about, so you, you've had a, you've had a longstanding relationship with the NBA at this point. Can, can you talk about how that's evolved at all? Say maybe over the last five years, whether either as a result of the, the changing ways that people watch TV or just the increase in, in interest of, of uh, NBA content on the internet and social media, has, has that changed the relationship? Well, I, I, I think, and you probably hear this from other sports too, people that cover them intimately, but you know, in the last five or six years, there's no off season, right? There used to be yep. a little bit of downtime. Now, some people may scoff at that, that work for the teams or player agents or players. Um, but from covering the league, there, there was a small break. However, now, and this, and this started via social media. Everyone talks about NBA Twitter, right? That's a, right. That's a big go-to yep. that, you know, NBA Twitter did this or NBA Twitter said that. Um, and, there were two, in my eyes, two, two events that turned NBA Twitter into what it is now with this mushroom cloud of information. Right. Um, and, and combined with that to make 
our calendar look like it does now, which was um, LeBron signing with Miami yep. and the lockout and the end of the lockout. Yep. Um, so, you know, it was the first time I think that social media took over was when LeBron signed with the, with the, uh, with the Heat. And that extended into July, right? I think it was July 7th or 8th when he made right. his decision that summer. Yep. And ever since then, you've seen there's always going to be some highly sought-after free agent, and there's going to be some courtship and some recruiting, and that runs from, let's say, the finals end on Father's Day, the 16th to the 17th of June. you got the draft probably four or five, six days later. Now you've got the NBA award show uh, shortly thereafter that. July 1st, free agency begins. Uh, July 4th is when the Orlando Summer League would start. July 7th or 8th was when free agents could actually sign. The Summer League in Vegas would start shortly after that, and that would take you through July. Right. And, And, And I think... Go ahead. Sorry. So I was just going to ask you, I, I, you know, I did not have it on my question list and I should have, um, you know, the, the interest in the summer league, at least from my perspective, both on, on a ratings basis and, and just general interest, it really seemed off the charts this year. I don't know if that was Alonzo ball phenomenon or what it was, uh, but I, I just wanted to get your perspective of, uh, of, you know, do, do you see sort of from your perspective that it, that it's, you know, growing in, in ways that, that should make my eyes open up, and, uh, and, and what do you think about all that? It's great. It's awesome. Um, I think that last year, uh, I think your, your analysis is probably uh, close to accurate with Lonzo Ball and the Lakers um, playing in Las Vegas. Um, they traditionally have a very strong following when they play in the Vegas Summer League with regard right. to attendance. Um, and so I think you saw that, uh, you know, tenfold last July. Um, and, and by the way, uh, and, and it, it just kind of showed that the uh, Kyle Kuzma uh, right. phenomenon was not uh, not yep. a stretch. He really, yep. really can play. Yep. Um, the other thing that was factored into last year in Vegas was that the uh, rookie class or incoming rookie class was well-known, highly talented, high-profile, and until Fultz went down, Markel Fultz went down with an ankle injury, uh, and then later on Ball went down with an injury as well, they were healthy. So you got to right. see those guys when they were out there. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately injuries are a part of the sport. Yeah. That has affected some of the interest and viewership in the past. Uh, but none of that came into play, at least not early on right. in Las Vegas. So. Um, no, we're thrilled, and, and we work closely with um, Warren Legary and Albert Hall, the, the two masterminds and founders of, of the Vegas Summer League, along with the league. It's kind of a, uh, an interesting dynamic. And also, also with our friends from ESPN to try and make sure that, you know, now that they're involved out there too, that, right. you know, the pie is being cut equally and everyone, you know, everyone is, uh, everyone is happy. So the other thing we do out there is you know, we take advantage – of the fact that it's, you know, the the hot hot stove league, if you will, when the <laughs> right, right. temperatures are in the hundred and thirteen area. 
Um, to sit guys down for interviews and shows, we taped a bunch of open courts out there that we've aired, whether, and, and we try and go a little differently, you know, open court is traditionally, you know, our, our kind of our panel show that's freewheeling and, and, um, you know, everyone can kind of have their say. And it's usually our talent, most often former players, but the last couple of years with the help of, of Warren and Albert, we've taped a few out there where you've seen coaches, general managers, right. uh, and even owners. Um, and then we have another one coming up shortly with, um, with our, we described them as pioneers of the game as well. Uh, so it's, it's um, one-stop shopping for us when it comes to content gathering and production. Right. Um, and, then, and then typically uh, you would also have a USA basketball training camp on the back end. Um, so we've been able to leverage that time with some of the USAB uh, hopefuls to shoot promos and interviews and additionally uh, have also had real training camp where, you know, Coach K and USA basketball have been incredibly welcoming and allowing us to be right. a fly on the wall for their practices um, pretty regularly. Uh, usually pick one, one a summer and, and he lets us in and guys get mic'd up and it's, it's a really cool uh, peek behind the curtain. Right. That, yeah, that is nice. So uh, be- before moving off of uh, NBA digital, you know, one of, one of my yeah. favorite, one of my favorite NBA digital things is the starters. And, uh, and I've had Taz on my podcast before. And so I kind of got the story from their perspective of, of the migration from the, uh, from the great white, white North to Atlanta. But I, I don't really have uh, on, at least on file anywhere, uh, you know, Turner's, Turner's uh, story of uh, how they brought uh, the starters into the fold. And I'm wondering if you could spend a few minutes talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to take credit for uh, bringing the starters south, but I can't. Um, my, uh, my previous boss, Christina Miller, who has moved on to a uh, higher area within the, within the Turner empire, um, first brought it to our attention uh, several years ago. And um, she and I went up there to talk to the guys, get to know them a little bit. Um, I was familiar with some of their work. Uh, especially they did some, some pretty funny stuff around um, the lockout. I think they right. called it the uh, no season required tour. Um, <laughs> and they had done some other stuff with uh, Christmas carols and uh, very, you know, they're, they're, they're spoofs and parodies and, and things of like that. But I think what sometimes gets lost in the shuffle, at least back then from my perspective was what kind of students of the game they were. They're all huge, huge basketball fans and understand, you know, the history of the game and the relevance of today's stars versus yesteryear. And, right. and you know, all, they're, they're extremely nuanced, I think, which is, I think, a tough, a tough formula to get out there when you're also known for being funny. Um, but they are able to kind of walk that line, which is great. So getting back to your original question is, you know, we went up there, we talked to them, and the timing wasn't quite right. Um, But lo and behold, a few months later, they gave us a call, said, hey, can we still talk about this? Um, And I think it was a situation where we had to get past whatever season we were in. Uh, And I apologize because the dates kind of run together at this point. But once we came to an agreement, um, it was a little challenging, and I give a lot of credit to uh, a lot of our people behind the scenes, um, because bringing, you know, this was kind of my naivete, but bringing in, um, you know, six folks 
from a, a foreign country to work in the U.S. can have a lot of hurdles logistically. Um, right. But got through it all, and um, and you know we've worked, you know, formulas and different day parts and podcasts and TV and and I think we've come to a place now where um, everybody's happy. Uh, the show is doing better than it ever has before. They've got a great following. They are certainly um, welcoming to their social fans. Yep. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's great where they continue to grow. We grow with them. Yeah. Well, one last point. I just want to say this. I think what maybe gets overlooked is there was risk on Turner's part, bringing them into the fold right. and, and the MBAs as well. But there was a ton of risk on their side. You know, right. they uproot what they know. They come to a different country. Um, obviously, Trey is from Illinois, but, but had been living in, in Canada. And, and they uproot everything, and they come to the United States. And, yeah, you're not dealing with a, a language barrier, and there's probably a lot of commonality between the two countries, but you're still upping everything you've got and moving to a different country. And yep. into the great unknown. And, uh, you know, credit goes to them for saying, you know what? And, 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 you know, the fact that it's the six of them that come to this, um, you know, come to this uh, conclusion is, is, you know, even more astounding. So I, I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's one of my, my kind of favorite stories. And, uh, and, and one thing that I think is just really great, and if, if not great for Turner, I think it's still probably great for Turner in some way, but it's certainly great, great for the guys, you know, the, the players very obviously, uh, watch and listen to the starters, which is, which has got to be a really cool thing for them. I think it's, it's, it's terrific. Um, you know, one of the, one of the opportunities we came up with a couple of years ago was to take them to summer league right. and having them at summer league where they're able to meet the next generation of stars was beneficial. I think to everybody as far as cultivating those relationships. Um, and I, and I'm not saying that the guys didn't listen to them before. I just think it helped in that fashion. And then, you know, when, when players come to Atlanta, teams come to Atlanta, uh, they're either going to play the Hawks or let's just say somebody's in town and they're going to be on area 21. Um, right. You know, a lot of those guests will hit the starter set first, and I think it's fantastic. Okay, so uh, moving on, I want to talk about the players only for for a minute or two. And uh, I I view the distribution of pretty much any fandom on a range from, you know, completely disengaged to completely engaged. And uh, I am not the hardcore guy who's ever going to be a host of the starters because I am I am not. Uh, you know, completely engaged to the level that those guys are. I would say that I fall probably somewhere in, you know, the normal middle distribution of that curve. And, uh, and so my experience with uh, players only is that I, I kind of like it. Um, but I, I, I get some feedback maybe from uh, what I would call the far right, completely engaged extremist. And uh, maybe they're not as uh, big of fans of it as, as I am. And, uh, you know, some of the feedback I get from them, I, I kind of distill down to, uh, you know, it just really sticks out for them in the context of, of how great, uh, you know, real play-by-play announcers like Kevin Harlan really are. And that the, uh, the contrast is, is, is hard for them uh, to take. 
Um, I, I don't really have that experience myself, but I, I accept that it's out there. And I, I just, I just wonder how you respond to that kind of feedback. I understand. Um, I think, you know, anytime you do something that's quote unquote different, um, I think it's going to rattle some chains and ruffle some feathers and any other cliche I can come up with. I look, <clears throat> it is a little different. If there's something that those guys were to say miss that a, your traditional play-by-play wouldn't, um, then it's up to us behind the scenes to pick up the slack and to take care of it in the studio or to communicate it to them uh, in their ear um, or any other way that, that we can do it, be it, you know, a story or, um, you know, an injury or breaking news elsewhere. Um, You know, our, our chief goal was to create something that was a little different and um, that was going to be more freewheeling, more fun, um, at least on the surface than your traditional broadcast, because I can assure you having been in the truck for years and years and years, the traditional broadcast would be a lot of fun as well. (laughs) Um, But this is, this is just a little different. And I, I would say to those people that maybe feel that way is watch and give us a chance. Um, because I think that you'll find that, that after watching a little bit, a, that while it may not be your cup of tea, if you were to diagram how you were going to do this, um, you may find that there are other perspectives and, um, other elements within this broadcast that you'll find appealing as well. Right. So I'm, I'm just curious, like on the, on the spectrum I described from, uh, you know, not engaged at all to completely engaged. Do 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 you think mm-hmm. about who you're trying to target when you, when you, when you, you know, create new content like that? I mean, are you, are you trying to aim for the middle? Are you trying to really target the, the hardcore fan? Or are you trying to reach the fans who are less engaged? H- how do you think about that? I want all the fans. You, um, <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. 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 I, I think that, um, you're constantly trying to bring the casual fan closer. Um, and that's no disrespect to the hardcore fans of which I am one. Right. Um, you're trying to bring more people into the tent that weren't in there before. And uh, an example I have from years and years ago, Gary Payton was in the studio for TNT. Um, I was producing inside the NBA and it was during the early years of the show Survivor on CBS. And we decided to do a tease where I think someone got eliminated that night. So we did something where we had, you know, whoever that team was, was voted off the island. <laughs> and that was our tease. And, okay. and I got a text from a friend of mine who's actually on the air at a different network. And he said, I hated that tease. <laughs> like, but, my wife loved, but my wife loved it. And I'm like, well... I'm pretty sure you're going to watch. <laughs> if we can get her to watch, that's even better. And I'm not throwing that down on gender lines. That was just the discussion that took place um, from an interest perspective. Um, so I think, you know, trying to make things that a wider audience will enjoy um, is always the key. Um, no matter what your particular, you know, silo of, of, television production or content production may be. I always have to then add the content production now. Right. 
Right. So, you know, move, moving on, we, we are in the era of uh, Cavs, the Cavs and Warriors finals rivalry. And uh, I am not yet, at least not yet falling for the, uh, the Cavs okie doke. Uh, I still expect we'll have Cavs Warriors in the final. And uh, I'm all good with that. I, 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 I tend to, you know, based on the data uh, and kind of ignoring what people say uh, and watching what they actually do. Uh, I think rivalries are, rivalries are good for fans and the league, uh, but there's always a, kind of a chorus of, we're sick of this, uh, voices in the crowd too. And uh, I know the NBA Finals aren't, aren't Turner's problem to worry about, but uh, I think they do play a role in uh, the arc of, you know, whatever comes up next season. And, and so from, from Turner's perspective, you know, is there an optimal finals matchup or, or some optimal setup that works for, that would work better for you? I would agree with your, your premise about the arc. I think that, you know, the, the rising tides raises all boats. Right. Um, works there. Um, you know, we're heavily involved at the finals, even though we don't have the finals, right. We're on, we're on every day, pre and post on game day. We're on the off days on NBA TV. Um, you know, there's all kinds of shows and content that we, you know, create from those games. Right. Um, with regard to what is a better final for us, the better final is a final that goes eight games. The more games, <laughs> the better. Um, because we want, we want that bump, right? We want that momentum Absolutely. going into, yep. into the next thing, whether it's the draft, which we now cover more closely uh, and actually are in the arena or summer league or free agency or whatever it may be. Um, so that's what we're rooting for. I, I don't have a problem with the trilogy, if you will, last year, um, or even if it's a quad, you know, that, right. that hey, if, if other teams can knock them off, you know, it's not, you know, I saw Clint Capella the other day saying they're better than the Warriors. And I'm sure there are a bunch of teams that might be articulating that, maybe not to the press, that right. feel the same way about the Cavs. Yep. All right, beat them four times in the spring and see what happens, you know. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with the way the situation is. Um, every team has an opportunity. Every organization um, is able to, you know, build their team as they see fit. And, you know, when you knock those guys off, you knock those guys off. Um, right. So, you know, I, I, to, I just want to see – we just want to see competitive series – and anything that goes long, we're all about. Yeah, and so, I, you know, I probably should just hammer that point home that, uh, it, you know, always the length of series matters more than anything, e- even the matchup. So you'd rather have you'd, you'd rather have whatever matchup you would pick instead of Cavs-Warrior, Cavs-Warriors go seven than to have a Cavs-Warrior series that only went four or five. I, I think that's my opinion anyway. Uh, any, any feedback on that? That's true to an extent, I think, but, um, you know, when we, if we come down to choosing series or choosing teams, it's kind of like saying, well, you know, at least from, from my perspective and in my, my job, it's like, well, which kid do you like the most? <laughs> you know, so, you know, we yeah, love them all. I yep. I understand. You, you can't, you can't pick between your kids. So, um, you know, the All-Star Game and All-Star Weekend are coming up, and uh, this, this doesn't have to be about the, the All-Star Game in particular, uh, but what new things, whether it's content, technology, presentation, or otherwise, uh, are you doing this year uh, that have you excited? Well, the first thing was, you know, we, we pivoted away from uh, Fan Night on NBA TV, 
and made that an extension of players only. So players right. only actually started earlier this season um, on NBA TV and then transitioned just last night right. to TNT. And the way the guys did it, um, John O'Connor and, and Brent Berkman were the two driving forces behind it at NBA TV was to have a situation where the guys called the game off the monitor. But a lot of times when announcers call games off monitors, whether they're in Atlanta or L.A. or even Bristol, I guess, we will hide it. You're not trying to necessarily take the peek behind the curtain, right. break down the fourth wall, whatever it may be, to explain it. Oh, no, we're not there. But in this situation, we actually use the monitor as a tool. And um, having the guys call it from there along with uh, – so that was uh, Steve Smith and Greg Anthony calling from Atlanta. Dennis Scott was our on, on-site reporter. Right. And then we had uh, Chris Weber and Isaiah Thomas and Kevin McHale um, as our, our studio crew. And I, I thought that went very well, and um, the numbers were up for that. So that was great. Um, and then, you know, we started off – last year we did a series – of content on the uh, art of the triple double. And a lot of it had to do with Russell Westbrook's chase to right. average a triple double for the season. So it played out well, but it was, it was the history and the evolution. And, and I think that played well this year. We took it another step. We did the evolution of the three point shot um, and, and told that story through five, six, seven, eight episode arc. And by episode, I mean, you know, eight to 12 minutes that can be watched either on NBA TV or socially or NBA.com or through the app. And then the next step in that was, I think I mentioned it earlier, the what if show. Right. Um, and that was, you know, falls in line with like, what if Robert Ori shot against the Kings had missed? Or what if Kobe had played for the Nets, if the Nets had drafted Kobe Bryant? Right. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't recall, but when Greg Popovich was just starting out as the head coach of the Spurs, he was on the hot seat. Um, and many people thought he had, uh, as crazy as it sounds now, that there was a possibility he may have been fired. And so we did one on that as well, where Steve Kerr and Avery Johnson kind of walk us through what occurred back then. So right. um, I think those are the main driving forces. Um, on the production side. And then, you know, socially, um, we continue to kind of branch out. Um, and I think this year you're seeing every Friday posted on Facebook for outside the NBA. So that's, you know, the, your regular cast and crew from Thursday night will put something together that kind of stays doesn't get too technical on the NBA side. It can even, you know, wade into other, other subjects as well. And that gets posted every Friday on, uh, on Facebook. Right. Okay. So, but for the, for the all-star game specifically, uh, or the all-star game weekend, what, what's the proper term yes. for that? All-star weekend, whatever, whatever that weekend is called. Yes. Yes. All-star. Cause every time I see it in an email, it's ASW. Okay, good. All-Star Weekend. Okay, so what All-Star Weekend event are you most excited to attend in person? Well, I, it's a good question because I'll be in a truck every night, so I really won't be in the stands. Um, you know, I'm always uh, – I, I, 
I, I always like watching the game itself. Um, right. I just think it's it's fantastic. And I know that things have been a little off the last couple of years. Um, but I am I'm very excited to see how the separation of the teams and then the integration from guys on either conference uh, and the draft will shake out and and hopefully add to an extremely compelling and competitive game. I think if, if part one of the deal was to create more discussion around the NBA All-Star game, you can right. check that box a thousand times. Now it's the execution as we get a little closer. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to see what happens on, on Sunday night. You know, you gave me another question, and I'm going to get you out of here with this one. So the the NFL Pro Bowl is coming up, and 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 uh, I I don't even need to get on Twitter to know what the the arc of the the commentary is going to be about the Pro Bowl. But I then I know the Pro Bowl is going to rate very well regardless. Uh, and uh, if there's a similar theme, uh, you know, going back a while now, maybe maybe as as long as a decade with the slam dunk contest, right? So I know if I get on Twitter. You know, people will say this, this, you know, it's, it's too long in the tooth. It's time to do something else, blah, blah, blah. But then the ratings are going to be pretty good. So I, I just wonder, how, how do you react to, uh, to all the feedback about the events uh, in the face of numbers that are, are really pretty good? Well, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, of that night, um, whether it's skills, <laughs> yep, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to crap on the three-point shooting and all that other stuff. I, no, no, I, no. I, I no, meant no, all no. of it. I understand. No, because no, I, I think the first first event people jump to, either consciously or self-consciously, that night is the dunk contest. Right. Um, no, I, I look. I, I think that the NBA has shown time and time again they are willing to take chances and do things differently right. um, on All Star Weekend, especially All Star Saturday Night. And so, <clears throat> I give credit you know, where they're like, you know what, we want to keep adjusting and tweaking and editing and trying to figure out a way to make this even better. And, and um, you know, not, not every all-star Saturday night is going to be, you know, uh, Levine versus Gordon um, where, you know, guys were just, you know, look like they were being dropped from the ceiling and hung in the air so long. So, you know, that, that's the, that's the idea. And they have, you know, it, they have to figure out the best way to present it, how to keep it moving in-house, how to keep it moving on TV. Uh, and those are challenges. But, they, but, you know, they've done everything from, you know, having an all-star Saturday night where, you know, the teams kept score to integrating our guys into the right. situation where you hear them in the, in the arena uh, to the more traditional way. Um, so they, they keep going and they keep trying and, and, and seeing what works. So uh, I'm confident that, the formula this year will be successful. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because it, every year someone pops up that you might not be as aware of. Now, I know everyone, I think Clay Thompson last night said he was going to be in the three-point shootout, so I'm not breaking news. But, right. um, you know, uh, typically there's, there's someone that comes out and you're like, oh, wow, I, you know, maybe I, maybe I wasn't that watching that team on league pass before. Right. And now, you know, now I need to go find out, you know, how good is Donovan Mitchell? Like that type of thing. So um, that's what I, I'm looking forward to as well. Right. Hey, Scooter, uh, I really enjoyed this. Thanks very much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me on. Happy to help anytime. 
Thanks again to Scooter Vertino for joining the podcast. And that's another one I really enjoyed. And uh, during editing, I came up with uh, some more questions for Scooter, uh, particularly on the content and production side. So hopefully I'll have Scooter back on the podcast somewhere down the road and get those questions answered. And uh, speaking of return guest, NBC Sports Executive Vice President and General Manager of Digital, Rick Cordella, is next up on the podcast. And uh, schedule God's willing, I'll publish that uh, by Monday, January 29th, 2018. And uh, you can find all the past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, RSS, and SportsTVRatings.com. Thanks for listening.